0: That is the rub, Michael, that's the rub, which brings us back to our earlier point of, yeah, business infrastructure, mm, sounds good, but people don't know to search that way. And so we have spent, I've worked with so many different marketing consultants and experts and digital coaches over the years who've taught me how to really pay attention to the language that people are using to describe something. And and through search engine optimization, that is how, for example, with the company's website, we have a lot of those keywords kind of embedded in our search engine optimization efforts. A lot of times, Michael, I'm very big on writing. So I have a LinkedIn newsletter now, and, and, and I try to incorporate the language whether it be in the title of the article, definitely within the body of the article, in the things that I post on social media.
1: One of the challenges for us small businesses is to be found. And what Alicia just described is the perfect example of how tough it is to achieve this. In her business in particular, she specializes in something that potentially small businesses have never Ever heard of business infrastructure? I certainly hadn't until now. It sounds like it's just for the big corporates, but actually, it's not. Have a listen to Alicia's fascinating story how a chemical engineer became a business infrastructure specialist. The journey may surprise you. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hello, Alicia. How are you today?
0: I am doing phenomenally well, Michael, now that I'm talking to you.
1: <laughs> That's a very good answer. <laughs> Not many people have answered it in that way. <laughs> and we both have double-barreled surnames. Me with de Groot, you with Butler-Pierre. And do Correct. you pronounce it, Pierre, uh, the French way? Yes, or yes, do?
0: indeed, I do. I'm originally from Louisiana, the state of Louisiana in the U.S., which for your listeners, it was actually colonized by the French. So I ah. meet a lot of people from the state of Louisiana. We have French names, many of us.
1: Great. No, I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm.
2: That's fantastic.
1: Oh, I love it. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story because I've read your profile and your LinkedIn and you have done so much and you're doing <laughs> a ton. I don't know how you get time for it. So I'm hoping I'm hoping to find out. And so thank you for squeezing me in into your busy day, which I'm sure it is. And um so I, I start the interview always with one really open question and you can answer it in any which way you would prefer and that is so alicia please share us your story and how you got to where you are today
0: my story gosh michael okay without running the risk of boring your listeners to tears i will give a i will give a shortened version of my story my story begins in as i explained a uh, few minutes ago in the state of Louisiana, Baton Rouge, to be exact. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that's where I was born and raised. And I grew up uh, out in a you know home with both parents. My mother was a health inspector. So she would actually go and inspect different restaurants, any place that served food to the general public. Right. And so I'm sure you can imagine, Michael, There were many, many, many stories that we would hear um, of places to not go and eat. (laughs) But suffice it to say, my mother had an eagle's eye. She could spot that lady can spot dirt from a mile away. I mean, it's 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 incredible. My dad had a background in the military. He was in the Air Force. But by the time I was born, my father was actually working at Exxon. Right. Uh, the, the, the gas company and growing up. So I have this father who was in the military, a mm. mother who's a health inspector with a, a strong science background. So I, I didn't realize it growing up, obviously, but you know how sometimes you're an adult and you kind of reflect on your childhood and you, you realize how certain things have shaped who you are as a person today. Yeah. And those just having them as parents, absolutely had a huge impact on how my sister and I both came out. <laughs> I <laughs> eventually would become a, a a chemical engineer and she is a radiologist. She's a, a medical doctor. So that's it's no surprise that we ended up choosing the professions that we, we chose. Yeah. Something else that I think is that's worth pointing out, Michael, growing up where I did, when people think of the US, I know sometimes it's it's kind of easy to paint us with a a broad stroke and that goes for any country, but there are some very distinct differences about the state of Louisiana in comparison to the rest of the U S It's almost like being in the Caribbean in the sense that there's, there's such a huge mixture of, of different ethnicities uh, in, in my state. There's, we have our own, subcultures. Also, we have our own food. We even have our own. Well, we say Creole, but it's kind of like a broken French. Right. So there are certain parts of the state. My grandfather, for example, that was his first language. It wasn't English. And so I think that surprises a lot of people when they hear that about the U.S. Like, what do you mean? Yes. So Louisiana is very different. Um, Again, we have our own cuisine, our own music culturally just incredibly different and in fact as of this recording next month in the month of February we'll be celebrating Mardi Gras which is yeah in many wow. ways Michael bigger than Christmas I mean yeah. it is a huge deal <laughs> where I'm from yeah. so so that's just that just kind of gives you an example of the the environment I guess you could say that I grew up in one that's very festive one where people might be down, but they're not out. We're always gonna find the humor in a situation no matter how serious it might be. I think a lot of people saw that if they can remember back when Hurricane Katrina happened in yeah. 2005, um, as horrible and devastating as it was, people still found a way to have that sense of humor. Mm. So that's that's the, the the environment that I grew up in. And another very interesting thing about Louisiana is, and I'll speak uh, for Southern Louisiana in particular, I can't really speak for the northern part of the state. It's still very Catholic. So I grew up, I went to Catholic school from the moment I was in kindergarten up to eighth grade. Yeah. So, for example, uh, one of the things that I credit the nuns with is my excellent penmanship. (laughs) But also, I think going to school in that kind of an environment it made me appreciate how methodical things were yeah there was a process for the way we did a lot of things and again that shaped me although i didn't realize it at the time no of but looking not. back and reflecting on my childhood it it definitely it absolutely played a major role in in something as simple as how i how i write and take notes and how I think about certain things. Yeah. So fast forward, once I get through the eighth grade, I then went to what we call here in the States, we refer to it as a magnet high school. And what that really means, Michael, is it's it's college preparatory. So it's not a regular, it's not a private school. Right. It's not a public school, but it's somewhere in between where sure. students have to take certain tests, you have to maintain a certain grade point average to stay at the school. And so that's, that's where I went. And I had a, a very high aptitude for writing. Yeah. So I thought I wanted to eventually pursue a career in journalism. Right. So I joined the, hi- I joined the newspaper and I absolutely hated it. Wow. I hated it. <laughs> and I, I didn't like it. Be- I didn't like it, Michael, because of what it took to quote unquote, get a good story. Right. I didn't like that part of it. And Mm. and I've since come to understand that there's so many different facets to journalism, especially today in in 2023. There's so many different ways that you can showcase your writing skills, whether it be in a book, a blog post. Um, We have social media now where you have the the opportunity at times to write longer form posts and things like that. But at the time, working on the school newspaper, it just seemed a little grimy and kind of tabloid-ish. Yes. Uh, I know you're in the UK, kind of along the lines of the sun.
1: (laughs) Never heard of it, yeah. Never heard of the sun. I know that yellow ball in the sky that we don't see very often, but... (laughs) Oh my god,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I'm all familiar with Rupert Murdoch and and
1: <laughs> not at all. Not at all.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so that's what I thought it was. And I said, you know what? As much as I love literature and the arts and reading, yeah, I didn't want to pursue that as a career. And it turns out I also discovered around the time when I was 16 that I also had an aptitude for chemistry. I absolutely loved it. I was so good at it. It came so natural to me. And by the time I was in my last year of high school where I'm literally getting ready to, to, I'm filling out all of these applications to attend university. And my teacher, who was my high school chemistry teacher, who actually happened to be Ukrainian,
2: Oh, Interestingly wow. enough. Yeah.
0: Yes, Mrs. Kablise. Shout out to Mrs. Cablis. And she took a she took a keen interest in my development beyond high school. Right. And I have to credit her with with my decision to pursue a degree in chemical engineering. Because she started at, to ask me, "Have you thought about what you want to study when you go to university?" And I said, "Well, chemistry." And she said, well, you know, think about this. You would have to go all the way up to the PhD level before you start to make real money as a scientist. But if you pursued chemical engineering... You could go to school for four or five years, and then you come out and you're making great money. And so, money was my motivating factor, <laughs> <Yeah>. Michael.
1: <laughs> Show me the money, right? Isn't it the same for everyone? <laughs> yes, it's a massive motivator, isn't you know, it? W- yeah.
0: <laughs> indeed it is. Indeed it is. I and I, I will not, um, I will not ever say that it isn't. Okay. Because it, it, it absolutely is. And, and truthfully, that was that was the motivation. And so I eventually attended school, attended university, Louisiana State University, to be exact. And it was hard. It was the toughest, one of the toughest things I've ever done in my life. Wow. And I've, you know, I remember that we would often be told that of the engineering disciplines, chemical engineering is is one of the toughest. So yes. it was it was a real challenge. But I'll I'll share this with you, Michael. Not only did it teach me tenacity, perseverance, stick to itiveness, it also taught me discipline. Sure. Because when you are a student. You're on your own. Mom and dad aren't around to make yeah. sure that you get up every day and you go to your classes and, and that you, you're you doing your homework and, and all of your assignments and you are literally on your own mm. and it's up to you. You're going to sink or swim. And when I think about those tenants, that has carried through with me to this very day, no matter what I do, whether it's running a business or doing something that's more on the personal side having that discipline goes such a long way.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: And eventually I graduated. My very first job was at another company that you may not have ever heard of, Monsanto. (laughs) 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 I was listening to one of your episodes and you were interviewing someone and she was talking about her journey from going from being a vegetarian to a vegan. And she mentioned... Uh, a documentary called Forks Over Knives. And what's interesting, when I worked at Monsanto, because it was such a large company, I was in a silo. I didn't know what was going on overall at at the company. It wasn't until I left that I started to really understand the business that they were in. And it was as a result of watching documentaries like Forks Over Knives and Supersize Me and all those kinds of uh, food-related documentaries. Yeah. And it didn't take me long, Michael, to realize corporate America was not for me. I just wasn't cut out for it. All of the bureaucracy, mm. being in a silo, not understanding the outside or external market factors that were impacting our day-to-day production schedules. Yeah. And I'll just say this really quickly as I start to wrap up this story. When I was working at Monsanto, I'll never forget this, and I love sharing this story. I remember, so we worked in the the, the overall plant that I worked in, where yeah. we, we made Roundup. We made Roundup at this particular facility.
1: That's a weed and killer, right?
0: That is the weed killer. That is yeah. absolutely correct. Um, this was before they really started to get into the genetically modified seeds business and genetically engineered. So I was on the roundup side of the business and, and the the overall plant was kind of segmented into different, what they called business units. Each business unit had its own accountant that was assigned to it. And every month that accountant would come over and talk to us engineers. And I remember they'd have these really thick reports. Do you remember those do you remember what printer paper used to look like, Michael? Yes. It was, and it had the perforated edges yes. on the side. Yeah, yeah. And it took forever. It seemed like it took an hour just to print one page.
1: That's right. <laughs> I do. I remember it well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so She'd bring over, I think her name was, oh gosh, I can't remember her name. But, but anyway, I remember she would bring these really thick printouts, reports, and it was as though she was speaking Greek. You know, mm. assets and liabilities and equity and cash flow. And I didn't know what any of that stuff meant. Mm. But I knew enough to know that whatever was going on outside in the world and the marketplace, that was dictating supply and demand. And that was impacting our production, whether yeah. we ran at full production or we may be asked to cut back by 50% or we may be asked to shut down altogether. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. It seemed erratic. It seemed like everyone was going mad. <laughs> but it was at that moment when I realized I don't understand business. Right. I don't have a clue about the business. I know the technical things like yeah. how to make, you know, how to make the widget, but I don't know the business of the widget itself. Mm. And I decided to go back to business school. So I was working full time during the day, going to school at night. And 9-11 happened in the U.S. Yeah. And it changed everything. And one of the things I realized was that I needed I needed to find a new job
2: Mm.
0: because it was becoming more and more difficult to juggle the job and going to school. Yeah, And I really wanted to to understand business. So I ended up finding, meeting my next employer. He owned his own engineering consulting firm. Right. And one thing led to another. I ended up leaving Monsanto. I started working for this much, much, much smaller family-owned mm. business. And that is what opened my eyes to small businesses, having that direct access to entrepreneurs, not getting caught up in the bureaucracy. There was no corporate ladder to climb. It was a family owned business. Yeah. So unless you had part of the bloodline, chances are you weren't going to (laughs) become an owner in the company. No. But it was great, Michael, because as I was going to school at night and learning these different theories and concepts, business concepts, I could directly apply it to things I was working on at my job. Brilliant. And uh, to start to round out this story of what's led me to, to being an entrepreneur today, I worked there for maybe another three, three and a half years. And... Had this feeling one day that I needed to get... I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana at this time. Right. Had this feeling, Michael, I needed to get out quick, fast, and in a hurry. It didn't make sense. I couldn't even really explain it, but it was this nudging, edging, intuitive gut feeling. You Mm -hmm. have to get out, and you need to get out now. I graduated from business school in December 2004. The following January, I put my house up for sale. And by February of 2005, I relocated across to the southeastern part of the U.S. in this little old town called Atlanta, Georgia, which is home to uh, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola company and Delta Airlines, amongst other uh, popular, well-known global companies. And I didn't look back. And eventually I started my company, Equilibria. And that's kind of what led me to where we are today.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, let's, let's let allow you to pause for a minute. And <laughs> okay. So what, what I've heard, which is incredible, is you talking about your journey, your mum and dad, but and also your education and the nuns at school and the discipline that came into you, but also you had DNA discipline as well because your mum was had that eagle eye, your father was in the Air Force, he would have to be disciplined, your mum would have to be, your mother would have to be disciplined too. So you already had the makings of being that character that was going to be, you know, focused on something. And so I love that. And then the the whole corporate journey i totally get it you know i've been there too and in fact i got out of the corporate rat race uh, in the same year that you did 2005 and oh, wow. i drove off from the from it was a japanese company who made woven fabrics and i was like you know board director commercial whatever, uh, sales and and design director, whatever. And I drove off in my car, the company car uh, that I would have to give back very soon. But I drove off and on my dashboard, I hadn't realized the date was July the 4th. Independence Day. Mm, yes. I, was, I was driving on my own in this car, and I was screaming to myself because I'd realized I would never need to go back into corporate life again. <laughs> even hmm. though, even though I didn't have a business <laughs> uh, or was making it was you any
0: celebrating money. your independence.
1: Celebrating my independence. Yeah, hundred percent to wow. get out of the corporate. So I just wanted to share that because you mentioned 2005 and that was the year that I became free, as it were, as well. And it's such a shame, though, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are bigger companies around um, that are great for people to work for. You know, they, you're not in silos, you're not a number, you're not just there to provide high profits for the board of directors uh, and big bonuses and salaries and airplanes and boats and big yachts and big houses and all of that and <laughs> amazing holidays just for the people in the top um there are there must be companies out there that are are sharing that with all of their employees you know recognizing them and but i haven't come across many i have to say <laughs>
2: Uh, I have to say
1: <laughs> they must be out there but I don't know who they are.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we're holding out hope.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you're out there, please give us a call. Come on the podcast. Please. We'd love to interview both of on both please. our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, how how so now now that you're you got out after you got your 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 business degree and went, right, I've got to get out. I've got to go on my own. And then your company was born. So t- tell us how did the name come about? What what were, What was your idea, your big idea that made you so passionate about getting going with it?
0: I love that question about the name of the company. No one ever asks me that. So thank you, Michael. Equilibria is really an ode to my days back in chemistry and chemical engineering, right. and it's the pl- it's the plural form of equilibrium. Yes, which, when you are in chemistry, you 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 you're always taught that a reaction, a chemical reaction, is not stable until it has reached a point of equilibrium. Right. Basically, it's balanced itself out. And so, when I started to come up with the name of the company, I started thinking, okay, what is it that, what is a word? I, I didn't want to name the company after myself, mm. but what is a word that would exude the end result or the yes. desired result yes. as a result of us working together? And it is, you know, reaching not just a state of equilibrium, but equilibria and you know, balance some some sense of balance across. All of it, not just in one area or one facet of the business, but across the entire business holistically. Yeah. I started off, believe it or not, as a professional organizer. Right. So I was literally going into people's closets, their home offices. I never really did anyone's kitchen. There might be a basement. Mm. But what, what I discovered, at least with the people that I attracted as clients, Michael, is that the overwhelming majority of them had home offices that needed to be organized. And it wasn't because they were chronically disorganized people. They certainly were by no means hoarders. They needed processes and systems because, because they were working from home. It was difficult to keep things related to the house separate from things related to the business. But they just needed some systems in place. And so that's when I started to tap into my chemical engineering background. So for those, for your listeners, chemical engineers, we usually work, if if we really work as, continue to work as engineers, it's usually one of two types. That's a design engineer where you're literally designing equipment to produce things at a massive scale or as a process engineer. And so, for example, Michael, when I was over at Monsanto, for the part of the the overall, the business unit that I worked in, there was a, a byproduct that we were producing, and it had to meet certain specifications. And the different chemists would come over, they'd test, you know, if you make a batch of something, they would come over, they would test it, and they would let you know, hey, this this doesn't quite, this particular batch that you just made, it doesn't mm. quite meet the specifications. So I, as the process engineer, have to go in and figure out, well, what went wrong at what stage in this process? Did yes. something go wrong yeah. to make this overall batch not meet the specification? So, so keep that in mind and apply that to businesses. So yeah. I went from studying how to make chemicals flow to studying how to make work and information flow.
2: Got you, yeah.
0: And so I started to tap in very, very heavily on some of those core process engineering skills and apply that to these entrepreneurs, these founders, these owners of these small businesses that that happened to be in their home. And eventually I started to, I'll never forget I had... (laughs) A district attorney's office contacted me, and they said, we'd we'd like your help. And this this goes to show you how naive I was at this time. Mm. Because my world had been purely engineering, engineers tend to be very organized, again, very methodical. There's a process in place for everything. And I'll never forget thinking to myself, there's disorganization in companies and Government institutions? Who knew? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of
2: you. <laughs>
0: I know, I know, right? Be thinking so highly
2: of oh, them. Oh, <laughs> you are. <Yeah. laughs> oh wow!
0: But that that shows you how naive I was, and yeah. so I started doing that work, and and then I realized after working, I remember talking to a marketing consultant, and this would have been probably back in 2007. And I started talking to her about types of projects that I was working on and how it was organizing. And she said, well, that's, that's true. That's true. It's actually business infrastructure. Right. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. And so that was how the uh, official switch from or transition, I should say, from professional organizing mm. to business infrastructure.
1: Right. About. Great. Wow. Well, that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a big jump, though, to go into people's home offices and go, right, let's organize your process, you know. Um, What are these files over there? Do you need them? You know, right? Let's put them in the basement. You know, what are you doing with your email? How are you managing that? Or how are you structuring your files on your computer? And there's a—it's a huge jump to go from that, which is really important and helpful for small businesses because lots of people don't know how to do it. I'm—I'm aware of that and from that to go to business infrastructure. And how did anybody hire you not knowing that you had experience in the business infrastructure? If you know what I mean. Hello, it's Michael here. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. More to come. And I just wanted to quickly let you know about my other work in case you didn't already know. I am involved with producing whiteboard animations for organizations so they can share better stories about their products or services. I also help business professionals get better at storytelling. I do this via in-person or online workshops. Just visit my website where you can find out a lot more. Just go to stayingalifeuk.com or you can contact me By the contact form on the homepage. Just fill in the details and an email will land in my inbox. And now let's get back to the podcast.
0: I know exactly what you mean. And it explains what I'm about to say. And that is business infrastructure is a blessing and a curse, Michael. A blessing in the sense that there aren't a lot of people out there in the world who talk about business infrastructure. Mm. A curse in the sense that there aren't a lot of people out there in the world who talk about business infrastructure. In other words, people don't know to go and search for this. They know there's an issue, but they don't quite know how to articulate that. Yeah. How do you go online and search for help with I mean, what, what words do you even use? Mm. So that by and large has been, I would say single handedly without question, the biggest challenge that I have had in my business is just that education piece. Yes. Getting the word out, letting people know this and, and letting them also know this is not something that is confined for larger Corporations or mm. enterprises.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, I meet a lot of small business owners who think, especially when we start having conversations about processes. Yeah, they think, "Oh, that sounds like a really big corporate word. Surely that doesn't apply for my micro enterprise." Well, actually, it does.
2: Totally. And let
0: me show you how and why it does. Yeah. So, so you're you're absolutely correct. It it was a quantum leap, <laughs> mm. not just an evolution, but but like a quantum leap going from organizing to business infrastructure. And had it not been for that corporate exposure that I had as an engineer, I don't think what? I would have been able to do it. Well, I know I would not have been able to do it.
1: Did you, did you suffer at all from like impos- imposter syndrome? Like, you know, I'm not worthy to be in this field. I hear field.
0: that word. Yes, I've never had that issue. Truthfully, I've I've never had it. I, I tell you what I do. What I where it does creep up is when I'm in the middle of an engagement with a client, and they may ask me, "Can you do this for us, also?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I can do it." And then I go home like, oh my gosh, what have I just signed up for? What, why did I say yes? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 truthfully, Michael, I I believe in myself and my abilities enough to know that I can figure it out.
2: Yeah.
1: And the and reason if something is just mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt. The reason I asked that question because I don't know, I just felt that you didn't have that as an issue. (laughs) It's just the energy in how you speak. There's, you know, there's like almost a natural, one. of course I've gone from organising people in the home to corporate infrastructure, and there was no mention of, you know, that transition was really tough for me, a real struggle. No, it it didn't no, it sound. was.
0: It was <laughs> no, it, it it was a struggle. <laughs> it was a struggle. <laughs> but but I guess the, the the reason I can come across that way, this is the only reason why. Yeah. Having that kind of confidence is because I stay in my lane, Michael.
2: Yeah. I
0: stay in my lane. So mm. if someone I know I you know because I certainly don't say yes to everything that no. I may be asked to do, sure, not at all. So if someone were to ask me something very you know about a particular technology and programming or coding something, no, I'm not, and I'm not going to try to go and and learn it. I just I know the answer is no. I know what my limitations are. Mm. and that had to come with time also it it really did. it had to come with time. The, the second thing that I credited that the confidence to is listening, mm. listening to what customers tell me they want. Right. I believe that's a big part of why so many businesses fail is because we, we become in love with as as my friend Martina Goss, who's who's in Ireland, always tells me we have to fall in love with the problem and not our solution oh wow she tells me that all the time fall in love with your problem and not with the solution she is a lean um a lean startup coach yeah and she's actually helping me with some things right now in my business and that just resonated just as it's 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 struck a chord with you it definitely struck a chord with me when she first told it to me i love that and it's, it's really resonated and and it's so true if we If I think about it, Michael, when I was first approached by that district attorney's office about going into their, their place, their, their organization and doing some level of organizing work, what if I had turned that down? Mm, What if I said, well, no, that's, that's not what I do because what I do is over here in this box yeah, and I don't want to play outside of this box. I don't even want to explore the possibility. Right. But thankfully I was open to the idea. It was scary. What if I fail? What if I mess up? What if mm. I say something that that comes across as being amateur or, or, you know, those thoughts definitely crept up in my mind, Yeah. but I went for it and I saw that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then I realized, Hmm, I have to change some things. I have to change the way I do certain things. I have to change the way I describe this. So again yes. no longer professional organizing rather business infrastructure but I think Michael only because I I have remained open to listening to what my clients are saying that they really want and not forcing my ideas onto them
1: right yeah and
0: and just and and just staying in my lane and knowing where, where my knowing where my core competencies are. Yeah. And my zone of genius. Yeah. That's the only reason I can come across so confidently. Yes. Because if I had told you, oh, well, you know what, there was this time I did this and, <laughs> oh, that did not turn out well at all. And it was a struggle. But, but even, even, even with those two important factors of, of being a good listener to your customers and staying in my lane. There definitely have been struggles, oh my god, there's there's still struggles to this very day, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, so so i i I certainly don't want to come across as though, oh, yeah, I got it. And everything's everything. And no, there's no struggle. It's all been great and wonderful because that's that's not true at all,
1: no, I, of course it isn't because you're you're a small business yourself. and Therefore, you know, we we have challenges a small business. Of course we do. And at the same time, you have this calmness about you that doesn't then unnerve the customer, <laughs> you know. So being calm, being a listener, knowing your stuff. And if you don't, yeah, you can say yes, but you'll go and find out how to do it. And get it done um, it's it's really important to have that calmness and that authority of knowing almost that mm-hmm. that will then make the client customer you know at ease with you, I guess. Could
0: you imagine if I was, you know, just kind of chaotic and, Mm. and I'm trying to, 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 you know, and I'm going into an environment that I know is, is chaotic, you know, it's, it's, um, so thank you so much for pointing that out because that, that is actually something that clients will say to me is there is a sense of calm and, and tranquility and, and I feel as though it's going to be okay,
1: that's right but yeah 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 i I definitely, so thank you for that. no, I can sense that too, yeah, that's brilliant so um now obviously you're on a few years you're you're doing this, and what would a this is going to be a tricky what I don't want to say the word typical, but what kind of Projects or clients have you worked on, or what are you looking to attract perhaps as well for future clients?
0: Sure. So, when it comes to small businesses, we work with companies that are established. Right. And the reason we prefer to work with established companies, Michael, is because with startups, trying to get them to focus or have a conversation about processes is a hard sell. Yeah. It is a hard sell. And it makes sense because the focus tends to be more on the marketing related activities. So things like promotion and branding and PR, publicity, Mm. social media, public speaking. And it makes sense because you need to get the word out about your products and your services. Absolutely. You need to draw your customers in. But what happens, Michael, when at you're your kind of, if we could just imagine a the life cycle of a quote unquote typical business. So you go from hopefully not having enough customers to having too many, because yeah. now all of that effort that you've put into those marketing related activities, you're starting to realize a return on that investment of yeah. your time and your money. And so now you you might have a different type of problem. You might have more demand than yeah. you can actually supply. That's our sweet spot. Right. Because it's at that point where we can go in and have a conversation about okay, you recognize that you have more than you can handle. That usually means you need to expand your team. So let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. What work needs to be done? How is that work organized into departments? How is that work then? How do you actually do the work? work that you've default defined yeah. that's where processes come into play how is your physical workspace actually set up that's where that's an ode to the original days of the organizing let's let's talk about the physical layout of your workspace and then finally let's look at your your records management systems yeah so if you even if you're organizing things mostly digitally we all know there's a such thing as digital clutter so let's have a conversation about that That's our sweet spot. I also, there are also some corporate clients that we work with as well, but when the, with the corporate or larger enterprise organizations, as well as some government entities that we've worked with, they're usually focused exclusively on processes. Right. So process documentation, process optimization. A lot of times they want to introduce a new type of technology to automate some of the things that they're doing within a process Mm. so that's that's usually the types of projects that we will work on for large larger organizations
1: great great sounds incredible and do the the so it's it's the question that came into my head as you started talking about it it's it's almost companies apart from those corporate clients but those smaller businesses where they're looking to scale and yes. scale successfully, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So that they don't then mess up uh, on that journey. But it's, it's got to be some clever you know, chief executive officer or managing director or whatever they're called that can recognize that, that that's what they need. Right. And but then, how do yes. they find you, Alicia? How do they find and you? that
0: That is the rub, Michael. That is the rub, which brings us back to our earlier point of, yeah, business infrastructure. Actually, mm, sounds good, but people don't know to search that way. And no. so we have spent I've worked with so many different marketing consultants and experts and digital coaches mm. over the years who've taught me how to really pay attention to the language that people are using to describe something. Yeah. And and through search engine optimization, that is how for example with the company's website, we have a lot of those keywords kind of embedded in our search engine optimization efforts. A lot of times Michael, I'm very big on writing, so I have a LinkedIn newsletter yes. now and right. And And I try to incorporate the language, whether it be in the title of the article, definitely within the body of the article Mm. in the things that I post on social media, the blog posts that we have. So there's this whole content marketing engine that is really driving this effort to increase exposure to this information so that to your point, people know that this is an option for them. And that there is help and relief because what happens, unfortunately, for so many of us who find ourselves in this situation, when we do go and search for help, we usually find one of two things. One, the information is reserved for the much bigger companies. Yes. Or... It's reserved for manufacturing companies, especially when you start to talk about things like Lean Six Sigma, Mm, which is a process improvement initiative. There's no shortage of people who are certified in Lean Six Sigma, which is a process improvement framework. But asking them if they will work with a small business, it's hard to find them, Michael. It's Mm. so hard to find them. And so... This is where I'm, I am, I and my team, we are working round the clock to change that narrative and to put business infrastructure, you know, forget my company, Equilibria. Let's just do our part to put business infrastructure on the map. Yeah. So that these owners and founders and managers and leaders of these smaller businesses and micro enterprises know that there is help. There is support specifically for Mm. them Mm. and their very unique needs because we do have unique challenges that larger organizations simply don't have. But our bigger advantage is that we can use that small size. We have a a type of agility that they don't have and we can make decisions a lot quicker and we can can be a lot more nimble
2: um, in comparison
0: to those much larger. Organizations,
1: brilliant. Okay, sounds <laughs> incredible. And I almost feel like there needs to be a business infrastructure school, you know, that people can go oh, to.
0: Speaking of which, mm. Michael, oh my gosh, are you you in our? Are you in my head? That's exactly what we're working on right now. Brilliant. That is exactly what we're working on.
1: Oh, fantastic. that's brilliant it just makes sense doesn't it people need to be educated that's exactly
0: what we're working
1: on fabulous Mm -hmm. fabulous so tell us how can people get in touch with you when they you know need this kind of help alicia
0: The best way is to, if you want to connect with me personally, the best way is through my website, my personal website, which is aliciabutlerpierre.com. If you want to know more about business infrastructure and this course that Michael has conjured up, Thank you again for that plug, Michael. I did not
1: know about this at all. <laughs> and
0: I and I want you, I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your. Um, I, I want to see and hear your reaction when I tell you the name of it. It is mm. called the Smooth Operator. Oh, I love it. And <laughs> and so if your listeners and people who are watching us right now on YouTube, if you go to smoothoperator.courses, and that is with an S at the end, you can find out all about the course on Great. business infrastructure.
1: That's brilliant. Oh, well done. That's fantastic. Thank
0: you. And that means so much to me coming from you. I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, this is no problem at all. I, I, Obviously, one of the things that you're getting the message out to is being on this podcast and being interviewed on podcasts so tell us also about your podcast that you do.
0: Sure. It's called the Business Infrastructure Curing Back Office Blues Podcast. And you're going to love this, Michael. And please, please accept my offer to come onto my show. Okay. It is a storytelling format now. Yes. I love that. As it. of as of less as of last year, we literally switched over to more of a storytelling format. Yeah. But we have a, an amazing group of different entrepreneurs, executives, and experts who come on and literally give us a behind the scenes look at what they do and how they help the companies or the individuals that they work with. So it's it's really looking at, okay. We have these back office operational things that are going on. Help. What are the tools and technologies that that are out there that can help me streamline some of the things yeah. that I'm doing? Great. Is there a certain process that you recommend? Who are the types of people that you hire? Where do you suggest I go to find those people? Yeah. Those are the kinds of conversations that we have.
1: Wonderful. Oh, well done. Well done. That's amazing. I love talking to another podcaster, always. (laughs) Alicia, thank you so much for your time. We could spend another 30 minutes talking about this.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that's why you have to come onto my show.
1: (laughs) But we want to leave the (laughs) listeners wanting more. And the only way they can get more is to get in touch with you, right?
0: Yes, indeed.
1: (laughs) So check out Alicia via her website or via LinkedIn or Uh, via the the courses website. And it's just been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so
0: much. Thank you. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Michael.
1: Okay, brilliant. Keep in touch, Alicia. I'd love to see how it all goes. Take care for now. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share at will.